now. Scotland's talking. Call 0333-2020-401 and join the debate. A very good Sunday morning to you. I'm Ali Bally. This is Scotland's Talking. Coming up on the programme this morning, I want to know what you make of the Scottish Government's new drug strategy. The number of deaths are expected to climb above 1,000 this year. Public Health Minister Joe Fitzpatrick says it's time to stop treating drug users as criminals. Locking people up for an addiction is very unlikely to help them get over that addiction and we can see the long-term impacts on individuals but also on their family, friends and communities. But is that going to be radical enough? What would you like to see done? I also want your thoughts on new limits on the number of places allowed to sell alcohol in Scotland's capital city. Pub bosses think it levels the playing field. There's far too many off-sales in Edinburgh chasing too few customers and that's creating problems with price but it's really over-competition that's, that's fueling that. Plus, we'll be looking into calls to raise the age of criminal responsibility in Scotland to 16. And as researchers in Dundee are given three-quarters of a million pounds to develop the male contraceptive pill, I want to know, would you take it? I've got three daughters myself, uh, and I've, I've actually never gone getting a snap. I think it'd be a brilliant thing. And for the ladies, would you trust your man to take it? I think it's great, but, but as a woman... I wouldn't trust them to take it. Men will not take it. Do you not trust them to do it? Oh, no. Definitely not, no. Because I know what like men are like. This is Scotland's Talking. I'm Ali Bally. Good morning. Scotland's Talking. The podcast. This week, the Scottish Government's unveiled a new strategy to combat drugs. It'll see addiction treated as a health concern rather than a criminal justice issue. Public Health Minister Joe Fitzpatrick unveiled the plan called Rights, Recovery and Respect and explained the thinking behind it to our political correspondent, Alan Smith. The focus of the strategy is, is looking at how we can provide support, support to the, the whole person, so all of their needs, not just their substance uh, misuse requirements. So that might be housing, it might be social um, work support, um, but making sure we have that whole person-centred support. It's clear that right now there are a number of people, particularly here in Dundee, who are not accessing the services that we have and we need to work out why that is and what we need to do to change the services to access them because we know that accessing services saves lives. How different is this from previous strategies that the Scottish Government's had? Um, I think it's it's an advancement of the the previous strategy. The Road to Recovery um, has had a a degree of success, so we've got 120 recovery groups across Scotland showing that lives are being saved on a daily basis, Um, but we still have this high level of drug and alcohol deaths that we need to to tackle. We're on course to see over 1,000 drug deaths in Scotland in in the space of a year. Do you think this this document, this strategy, is the key to to bringing that figure down? Well, this strategy... Uh, puts in place the framework which I think um, should enable our services to um, better access the most vulnerable members of society and make sure we're providing the appropriate support. We don't have all of the tools in in the box, so one of the things that we'd be keen to do is to provide um, more innovative support, such as Glasgow's proposal for a safer consumption space. International evidence is that that will save lives from the people who are furthest away from treatment. Um, so I call on the UK government to give us the powers so we can make the changes to the law that would allow that to proceed and those lives to be saved. A lot of 
what people seem to be calling for is a move away from, from treating drug users as criminals and treating them more as a, a health issue. What are you saying about that in this strategy? There is no, no question that um, drug misuse should be looked on primarily as a public health issue, um, and, and that's clear from, from the strategy. Um, locking people up for an addiction um, is, is very unlikely to, to help them get over that addiction, and we can see the long-term impacts on individuals, but also on their family, friends and communities. Public Health Minister Joe Fitzpatrick speaking there to our political correspondent Alan Smith. Now, Pauline Kinsman's daughter battled her drugs problem for 21 years. She told Alan the help on offer simply hasn't worked. She's been through the drug centre twice and her, um, her experience has been awful. Um, there's no, there was no harm reduction apart from the time that they cut her off. She was on 150 mils of methadone and because she had a dirty sample, they cut her off in two weeks, they detoxed her in two weeks and threw her out with the number of Samaritans and, uh, and some naloxone and told her to get somebody to put in if she took an overdose. How long has your daughter been using? Since she was 19. And she's, and she's 40 now. Yeah. So for, for 21 years you, you've been going through this? Yeah. I think she came off it when she fell pregnant with, with her son um, for, a, for a short period of time. Um, but went back on when he was an infant. So, yeah, we've been battling this for, for a long, long time. Yeah. They shouldn't be made to feel like they're, um, that they're, they're doing them a favour by, by allowing them in for treatment. And there's, there were a lot of barriers to treatment, and they had to go through ad action, wait for nine weeks for an appointment. Um, I think that's, that's changed. But it's still very difficult when you've had bad experiences to go back into that, and she's refusing to go back into it. And it's killing her. The number of drug deaths in Scotland is expected to top 1,000 this year. Uh, the total has more than doubled since the SNP came to power in 2007. Do you think that this will work where other plans have failed? Justine Murray is the chief executive of the charity Scottish Families Affected by Alcohol and Drugs, and she spoke to Rob Waller for Scotland's Talking. We work with families, so the, the difference for families is that in this strategy for the first time, they've got the right to be involved in their loved one's treatment and care where appropriate, and they've got the right to be um, supported in their own right. So these, so this is a rights-based strategy, um, which really it, it just changes the footing that people have in terms of um, support and involvement as family members. And that might sound quite trite, but these are really significant new um, rights for, for families to have. Um, before, they've, they've never had um, the, the right to, to be involved in their loved one's treatment. They've never had the right to support in, in their own rights. So um, these, these are really big changes for people on the ground. What does that actually meant then for people not, not having these rights? How, how has that manifested itself? So what family members have told us, and we've seen with their own eyes, are that you know um, regularly family members have been excluded from their loved ones' treatment and care in a way that would never happen with any other health conditions. So, um, you know, the government are clear that drug and alcohol um, misuse is a it's a health issue, and so we need a health approach. So if you compare that to say families of um, patients who are experiencing cancer. Um, they would never be excluded from treatment and care. They would, they would have access to support in their own right. 
So, you know, these are big changes. Um, so families have traditionally been excluded and also most most families across Scotland don't have any support in their own right. You know, there are there are some dedicated family support services provided by ourselves and others. There are some peer-led family groups which have been set up by family members themselves. But there's large areas of Scotland where there's no family support at all. So this has really given us quite a a big lever to have conversations with local areas to say, right, right, you know, how are you going to um, meet these ambitions of the new strategy in your own local community? So does is this likely to sort of increase the success rate or, or people, if people go into to, to rehab or, or treatment, they're more likely to, to stay on, on, stay being clean afterwards because of this? Yes, yeah, so... so you know, our experience is that where families are involved in um, treatment and care and where they do have support in their own right, their loved one is more likely to um, enter treatment, to um, be sustained in treatment and to have a successful outcome at the end. Because, you know, you've got to remember family members are dealing with this 24-7, you know, so they, their loved one may have an appointment once a month, you know, once a week if they're lucky, but actually the family members are dealing with, it, with that the rest of the time. So this kind of partnership between services and families, um, so that, you know, the, the strategy states that families are key partners and this partnership approach is really about helping services get this extra resource of, of families, but also helping families have this extra resource um, of, of services as well. So, you know, I think that's a bit of a win-win. I can see what it does for, for people who've already got a, a drug problem. Does this strategy say anything about trying to reduce the number of people who start off on drugs? Absolutely. So prevention and early intervention are really big um, themes in the strategy. So that's not just preventing children and young people from um, developing drug and alcohol, um, you know, dangerous levels of drug and alcohol use. Um, but it's also about early intervention. So when we first become aware of people um, who have a problematic relationship with alcohol or drugs, drugs, there are measures that can be taken to sort of link people into treatment and support at the earliest possible opportunity. You know, we're not going to wait until things um, escalate. Justine Murray, Chief Executive of the charity Scottish Families Affected by Alcohol and Drugs, speaking there to, to Rob Waller for Scotland's Token. So the new strategy then, do you think it'll work? Are you involved in any way uh, in drugs? Are you a drug user? Um, do you think this will help you uh, in the fact that it'll see addiction treated as a health concern rather than a criminal justice issue? And will that change the attitude of some people in the health service against those who take drugs? Because, you know, that seems to be coming through as well as a bit of a problem as the, you know, that we are doing you the favour, which wouldn't happen, as, as as someone has said in the report there, with any other health issue. But what about if that was the case? Let's, you know, if, if it carries on that we see it being treated as a health concern rather than a criminal justice issue, what about the victims in, in all of this? What if you get your, you know, let's say you get mugged by a druggie looking for money? Um, and, and, you know, well, this isn't, a, you know, it's, 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 it's a crime, yes, but it has to be treated, you know, with kid gloves now because it's a health concern rather than a criminal justice issue. Um, if you're part, of, you're the victim and, and you don't feel that you're getting justice, what do you think? Here's the ways you can get in touch. Let me know. O treble three twenty twenty 
is the telephone number if you'd like to give us a call. Uh, you can text. The text number is 61054. Start your message with Ali or email ali at thegreatesthits.co.uk. And, of course, we're on Twitter, hashtag Scotland's Talking. So we're talking first subject today amongst quite a few. We've got quite a few subjects coming up. But if you have a comment on that, if drugs have affected your family, as we've heard on this programme quite a few times, we've had... Um, mums and, and dads on talking about how it's affected uh, them with their children. And now these children are mums and dads themselves. You know, you're, you're seeing drug addicts who are in their 50s and who are on methadone and have been for years because, they, you know, is, is, is there anybody encouraging them to come down in, in the methadone? Or as we heard again in that report where someone was not offered anything, uh, any... Um, reduction in the methadone that they were actually getting. What are your thoughts on that? As I say, if it affects you, affects the family, uh, like to hear from you. And is it right that it should be treated as a health concern rather than a criminal justice issue? That number again, if you'd like to join us, is 0333 2020 401. Back with some calls in a moment. You're listening to Scotland's Talking, the podcast. Join the conversation on Twitter at Scotland's Talking. This week, the Scottish Government unveiled a new strategy to combat drugs. As I mentioned, it'll see addiction treated as a health concern rather than a criminal justice issue. Is that the right way to go? Michelle, good morning. Good morning, Ali. Good morning to you. Right, what's your thoughts on this then? Well, I'm actually an ex-addict. Um, I've been clean now for 18 years. Well um, done. I still meet people that that I've known from my, my drug past. And they're still on methadone and you're thinking, 20 years you've been on this. Mm-hmm. Surely that money should be better. But they should be weaned off of that by now. That's costing the NHS so much money. Um, as for making it a health issue, well, the other thing being, it's not just taking the drugs. There's other things in their head. Um, so, yeah, it is a health issue to a certain degree, but it's more than just the health, it's the the other implications with it. But the thing being, I've managed to get off it, and trust me, I was an addict for over 10 years. Right. Um, but it was just one day you school I've had enough. Never been to rehab. Um, I was on methadone for about three months, and then I got myself a job, and I've been working ever since. So when you when you decided in your head that that's it, you woke up one day and thought that's it. That is that really it? Is that all it took was some willpower from you after ten Just years? Well, I'd been in a prison at that point. Um, never lost my son. Never lost my mum. So you've got to kind of weigh up the, the pros and cons. And when you're an addict, you don't think of these things. But when you're straight, that's when your head changes. Mm-hmm. But good luck to everybody out there, and I really, really do hope that they can get some sort of support um, with their drug issues and also their mental health issues as to why they're doing this. Did you get support when you needed it? No. No. No, the the waiting list for rehab was two years long, um, unless it was court-appointed. So other than that, no, the only support I had was family. Um, without them, I probably wouldn't even be here now. So if if you, you know, being an ex, 
Um, addict. Addict, yeah. Yeah. I, I wasn't thinking of what to say there. I was thinking what to say next as far as the <laughs> oh, the people that... No, it's all right. Uh, my brain works when I'm doing this programme about 30 seconds ahead of what I'm going to say. <laughs> it's, um, it doesn't work all the time. Um, I'm, I'm thinking here, you know, that I, I've been doing this show a long time and uh-huh. we've spoken about drugs no matter which political party's been in charge um, over the years, so many times... I've spoken to people who've lost their family, who've lost their children, um, who've lost their mums and dads through uh, drug overdoses. So I, I've, 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 you know, talked a lot about it over the last 30 years. And what concerns me is we don't go anywhere. They're all talking, no, they're all talking shops, you know, this, this latest tragedy. What, what does it actually mean? Does the public health minister, Joe Fitzpatrick, really know what it means to be in a situation like yours and many others? No, you know, no definitely not. That's, that's what, what concerns case. me. I don't, you know, I don't know. Uh, I reckon I probably know more than Joe, but, you know, I, I don't know what it's like to be desperate to go into to rehab and being told, well, it'll be nine months or, or a year. You know, that's just not on, is it? No, definitely not. And the, the worst thing being that like, people are crying out for help. However, the, the help isn't available for them. So what do they do? They end up getting back into the drug scene. I mean, I moved house and got away from the area that I was in. Um, and then I got a wee job and that was it, basically. Um, but you need to stop hanging about with the people that you know mm-hmm. in that drug scene and just try and move on with your life. So but you've see, got to be willing to make an effort as well. Yeah. But, but what about people, what about all these people that you you say you still know who've been on methadone for twenty odd years? There yep. has there has to be somebody somewhere saying, "Hang on, we've got to cut down on this." Yeah, there's got to be somebody somewhere going right. Twenty years, surely you should have sorted your life out. And when I met that person, she was still using drugs, which is even sadder because she's yeah. still using drugs. She's still on the methadone, surely. They should, but this guy's not got a clue what he's talking about unless he's walked in a pair of shoes with somebody in my past. And but even then, they should sit down and go, well, methadone, you shouldn't still be getting that in 20 years. Mm. What we'll do is we'll do a nine-month strategy and wean you off it by then. And if there is other things out there for them, um, like some sort of groups that they can go to a coon, there's a lot of people left school without qualifications. So if they had a wee training place that they could go to, and, I mean, a, a lot of people I know that were ex-addicts are now counsellors. So but there is hope for everybody. Michelle, thank you very much indeed for lifting the phone. Thank you. Uh, Sandra, hello. Hi. Hi there. Hi. Um, I'm singing off the same hymn sheet as you. I only caught the, the cusp of this programme in the last 10 minutes, but I was involved in the consultation about this. Uh, and they're trying to recruit people through lived experience to sit on panels, etc. Now, I was very reserved about some of the recommendations. People who um, are on drugs or alcohol abuse or any sort of substance, their life is very chaotic, very, very chaotic and traumatising. And the thing is, is to promote people to be sitting on a panel, a lot of these people will have criminal convictions, you know. 
So they were hoping a proposal that was put forward is to put people in the community and help people. Now, there isn't enough help as it stands Mm -hmm. for people who's gone through the live experience of addiction just now. And I know this because I help give back service, and I do say service, to a group in Fife that deals with people who's got substance abuse problems in their past or live substance abuse problems now and they've came from dysfunctional backgrounds and I can see recovery in people because our group's consistent, we're self-supporting, we decline outside contributions or any media involvement and it runs quite simplified and this is why I was asked to go to these consultations. Now I just, I just seen and observed it was people giving lip service. I myself, I have had problems in the past with addiction. I got a 84-piece email paper sent to me from Stirling University, all academic, academically written. And this was meant to go around people who had a lived experience, who most of these people have had an education because education wasn't important to them because the, the, the drugs overtook everything. You know, they came from very, very chaotic backgrounds. People need, you know... My son says to me, and I stay near Kirkcaldy, and it's a very, very deprived area, and the other day a guy came up to him in the street and he says to him, he was on drugs, and he says, please put down your can of iron brew to my son. He says, go and just give me a cuddle. And my son gave him a cuddle. And I think that sums up everything. Mm-hmm. You know, these people are very, very wounded, and the government, I feel, you know, aren't they doing enough you know, and, 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 you know, consultations, third sector, this, that, throwing money, Ali, throwing money at think tanks, resources and things like this. And we're not getting anywhere. Like you say, somebody shouldn't be on methadone for 20 years, you know. But it's a business, remember. So the criminal justice system. It's a business. You know, I've seen people, and I've got a, a, a legal qualification. I've seen them going to court to the point they want to go back to prison. Mm-hmm. And the government have now clipped on. This is costing us because they get methadone in there, they get away life, and they get cared for. And isn't that sad? It is sad when, you know, they, they, they come out and um, it can be back to back to normality because... You know, they get all that looking after. If, you, if the way you're saying it, you know, they get they get looked after if they go into prison. That, that there's no doubt about that. But there again, when the sentence is over, and it's usually a short sentence, when they're back out in the streets again, that's what you know. Your time's up. Out you go. And, uh, and nothing, nothing's changed. Where, where do I go? You know, it's well, a rinse and repeat well, situation, That's Ali, right, yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. And the thing is, Ali, you know, I went to one of these, these, these consultations last year, and I, honestly, it was just people saying the same thing over again. Nothing was happening. And I'm sure at the time it was Aileen Campbell was the community's minister. I can't even remember what her title was, but she was there. And I thought, honestly, and Ali, I have recovery myself, and, and my part in my recovery is giving back service, but at times I get very, very tired because I can be traumatised and triggered. The new people, I'm the contact point for Fife, people coming over the door and reminding me what my past was like. Mm-hmm. I've not had any training, Ali. The training I've had is lived experience, you know? And that's more valuable than... Uh, and I can because you can relate. Yeah, you I can, can pass relate. It on. Identification, verification, validation... You know, and people can look at me, no some big icon, but I can say, look, I've been where you've been. And I've came through it. Right. You know? So what's the answer? The answer is... is, is um, we've, gone, know, we've gone lots of years now. Come on. Lots of years. We're just what I've been saying. You're backing me up here. A lot of these things are talking shops. Yes. So service, tomorrow morning, the phone's lifted, and they say to you, right then, 
for the next two years you're now in charge, what would you do? I would be promoting a lot more of these 12-step groups and, and people through, through lived experience. I would stop all this academic lamage for people, which is a barrier. I would put strategies in place that people know that they are not just addressing the symptoms, but addressing the cause, Ali, and there's backup for them. You take somebody off something, you're maybe giving them something else, to, you know, pharmaceutical drugs. They could be addicted to that. You know, they need, you need to take yourself out the whole sphere, out the whole community, friends, areas, triggers, but you just kind of say, right, I'm going to get you clean and this is going to take so much, blah, 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 you know? Mm. Because people will just go back to their own lifestyle. They need an ongoing, consistent programme, which what our fellowship offers, and that's and people can come back, and if there's no there's commitment or, or, or cause or whatever for you to come to that, it's up to you. And we get people coming from Castle Craig as well which is a rehabilitation place for people with addiction. It's private, and yes, you can get NHS referrals, but people come there because they're, they're wanting to get back in the community, but they want some backbone. Yep, so they yep. need to keep coming to something. And your, your, your recovery just isn't... Your, see, the day I'm recovered, Ali, is the day I'll relapse. Mm-hmm. The day I'm recovered, my recovery is ongoing, ongoing all the time. to the day yeah. I die. I'll be an addict, but no life, and I've, no, I've not got a problem with drugs, but it's a different chemical. But the thing is is that I have to tell myself each day I arrest my illness. And that's what it is. And I say, that's it. I just have to get up. And tomorrow's too far away from me, so I'm living the day. But I know I've got help for other fellow sufferers. Interesting, whilst you're talking, I'm just looking at uh, a text coming in here. And it's from uh, uh, Julie. And Julie says, just regarding what the lady's talking about, um, when I was 16, I'd already been on drugs for a couple of years, uh, just through uh, school friends, etc. Uh, parents and GP, when I was 16, referred me to a counsellor. Uh, I, I travelled the 20 minutes in the bus to see this counsellor, who was an academic, who had mm-hmm. no idea mm-hmm. whatsoever mm-hmm. of what I was going through. Everything that she spoke to me about was quoted from a book or a text. Yes. I walked out of there feeling that I was totally on my own, as no one understood. Isolated, abandoned. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Thank you very much indeed, Sandra, for calling Thanks. in. Thank you. Thanks, Thank you. Bye-bye. Thanks, Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Uh, let's go to John next. John, good morning. A very good morning, Ali. Morning. What a fantastic lady. Speaking sense, speaking about life, life on the street. If you're an addict, uh, myself, I've got an alcohol problem, Okay and have for many a year. Uh, But here's the situation, Ali. This lovely lady is talking sense. She sees through all the riffraff, these professors and everything, they get paid a quantity of money, and basically, the end of the day. I'll give you an instance to this. I was in Murraygate a few months ago, and I saw this young person sitting in there, and I sat next to him, he had a paper cup. And I recognised him as Jimmy. And I said, Jimmy, what, what's happening with you? Oh, he says, John, I'm on the methadone again. I says, well, what makes you sit out here in all weather? I says, have you had anything to eat, anything? So I says, wait a minute. So I nipped across the road, got him a sandwich and a liquid, okay? Mm-hmm. I sat next to him and I said, Jimmy, hey, come on, you can do better than this says, John, you're a good man, and I understand that. I says, come on, Jimmy, you could do better than this. Next week, guess what happened? 
he committed suicide. He was 25 years of age, Ali. Mm. 25 years of age. This is what's happening to the youth of Scotland. If you don't have a government that can waken up, waken up to the fact a generation left. John, thank you very much indeed. I know that must have been difficult for you to, to tell that story, but thank you very much indeed for coming on anyway. O Treble 3 2020 401. Um, I've got another one in here that says, um, Ali, it's all very well saying that we'll, we, which is I am, uh, and I don't know whether it's a he or she, but um, I am uh, a drug addict, but the, we need to be treated as a health concern by the health professionals. The chemist that I go to to connect my methadone treats us like criminals. There's a few of us go there, as you can imagine. Most days we're kept waiting for up to 45 minutes to an hour. Is that right? Why should we sit there? We are customers, we are making them money, and we are ill. Would they do that with a patient suffering from another illness? but we'll just keep sitting there till they decide to give us a call. It's demeaning. OK, thanks for that. Your thoughts? 033-2020-401. Scotland's Talkin', the podcast. Comment in here from Liz. She says, instead of constantly pulling people out of the river, we need to go upstream and find out why they keep falling in. Addiction is a medical issue. People are self-medicating their mental health problems. Addiction services are no more than a procedure and a prescribing exercise, sticking plaster on infected wounds. It's time for a radical shake-up across the board. Thank you, Liz. And also one in here that says, uh, Ali, I'm not sure the answer, but Sandra, who was on there, is talking very sensible. She should be given a chance for the academics to listen to her. Totally agree there. Thank you for that comment as well. Keep them coming in regarding the drug situation. Uh, we'll give you all the, the ways to contact us in a few moments again. Scottish scientists are taking the lead in developing the male contraceptive pill. Uh, I want your thoughts on this. The question is, would you trust a man to take it? Well, that's interesting, isn't it? Let's see what the thoughts on the streets were. I've got three daughters myself, uh, and I've, I've actually think about going and getting a snap. I think it'd be a brilliant thing, no? I'd agree with it, aye, 100%. So if one of your daughters said to you, oh, it's all right, my boyfriend's on the pill, would oh, you trust no. it? They're, they're only like five and six at the moment, so... <laughs> <laughs> so uh, no, no, probably not, you're probably right there. So you wouldn't trust the man? Uh, I don't know. You're probably right in that regard, aye. I think it's great, but, but as a woman, I wouldn't trust them to take it. Men will not take it. Do, do you not trust them to do it? Oh, no. Definitely not, no. Because I know what like men are like. The research team at Dundee University have been given a £700,000 grant from Microsoft founder Bill Gates' charity to continue their development work. Dr Chris Barrett is a professor of reproductive medicine there. He thinks they're onto a winner. I'm very confident that men would take a safe, effective uh, contraceptive pill if it was available. And the reason why I would say that was that 30, 40 years ago, the attitudes in society uh, of men, for example, to reproductive health were very, very different to what they are today. We live in a, a completely different environment. And research by the WHO has clearly shown 
than in recent years with surveys of men for reproductive health choices that they would take a safe, effective, reversible contraceptive pill if it was available. The question is that that is not available to men now. There has been a lot of research in the past on using uh, steroid-type formulations, but the problem with that is that it basically uh, wipes out uh, the factory-making sperm and that has negative consequences on health. So it is not appropriate then to follow that line of investigation. So we need a completely different approach. But the work from the WHO clearly shows that men will take a safe, effective contraceptive if it is available for them. And I think we live in a completely different age and a completely different environment where men must take uh, uh, responsibility and must take that uh, reproductive choice with, with their partners. So will it be as liberating for women as the original pill was in the 1960s? Or would it have unintended consequences? For instance, what about efforts to tackle sexually transmitted infections and HIV? Would it set that back? What are your thoughts? Uh, are you a male? Would you take the pill? A woman, we had one who was uh, a bit uh, suspicious of obviously the men she's met. But what do you think in general? Treble three twenty twenty. 401 is the number. John, good morning. Good morning, Ali. How are you, my friend? Not bad, John. Um, I haven't got a lot of time as we work up to the news here, so very quickly, what's your point today? My point is on the drug situation, Ali. The only the only way we can beat the drugs, I'd, I always say it's not a drug problem we've got, it's a greed problem. So I don't confound shillings and pence. Legalise it. Get clinics, stop the people for the, that are earning money just now from earning it. Get the people in, get them organised, get to know who they are, and help them. Put a stop to the young people being found dead behind doors, injecting Ajax up their arm. People mugging old women to try and get the money to pay these people who are making vast amounts of money off of drugs. You instantly put a stop to it. Now, everybody says, ah, but where do you get the money from the clinics? And where do you get the money for the help? It's very simple. You get the money from the money you save from poor guys lying in the jail mm. for breaking the law trying to get the money. That's where you get the money. The problem in this country is our MPs are free to stick their heat up on the parapet and save what needs to be done. John, that's... That's something that we both have agreed on for some time. I'm going to have to stop you there. Thank you very much indeed for that. If you've got a comment, then get in touch. Treble 3 2020 401. You're listening to Scotland's Talkin', the podcast. Join the conversation on Twitter at Scotland's Talkin'. Talking about Scottish scientists taking the lead in developing the male contraceptive pill, but the question is... Would you trust a man to take it? We had a few people that we uh, spoke to out in the streets there uh, saying, no, they wouldn't trust a man, particularly the lady who seemed to have a a poor experience. I'm just reading some comments that have come in here uh, on Twitter. Remind you, you can uh, give us your comments, and they are. uh, If you want to get through on the Twitter, it's hashtag Scotland's Talking. Jackie says, either sex can be deceitful, but this is an option for all to take responsibility for each other. Surely it has to be a good thing. And if you can't trust your partner, you shouldn't be in a relationship. Good one, Jackie. Thank you. Uh, 
<laughs> one from Craig. He says, would you trust a bird to take it? Heard loads of people getting pregnant and being on the pill. As you say, one could forget. One, you know, it's, it's, it's easy to forget, I would imagine. Um, it's maybe just since the, the 60s we have uh, it's seen it as being a lady's thing to do. Now, you know, if this was to carry through, and it seems that it's it's on the way, would men take it? No contraceptive, uh, says Mishi, is 100% guaranteed to work, though. Uh, also, miss a dose, and that's its effectiveness ruined. Plus, also, some guys lie about using condoms, so it could be the same thing. Still, of course, taking your calls on the new strategy on drugs. And also, um, we were talking there just before the news and quite a few comments coming in, particularly on Twitter, on whether males could be trusted to take uh, the new male contraceptive pill. Uh, So we're still taking calls on that. But I'd like to ask you this question. What age do you think we should hold young people responsible for their actions? There's been a debate going on in Scotland about raising the age of criminal responsibility from 8, which is the youngest in Europe, to 12. Now, that's going through the Parliament at Holyrood at the moment, so they're discussing it and debating it, etc. So it's not through yet, but it's going in. Now, before that's even through, there's a report calling for the nation to go even further, meaning that you couldn't get a criminal record until you're 16. They also question putting 16- and 17-year-olds on trial in adult courts. It was commissioned by the Charity Action for Children and the Children and Young People's Commissioner for Scotland, Bruce Adamson. And Bruce joins us now. A very good morning to you, Bruce. Good morning to you, Ellie. Now, were you sir, surprised that the, the report suggested going as high as 16, or was that what you were pushing for anyway? Uh, not at all. I, I should state that this was an independent report, so, so it was a, a panel that we commissioned, but, but was independent. But I've been calling for a long time for the, the raise of the age of criminal responsibility in Scotland. And I think the, the important thing, this isn't just about um, when children should be held responsible for their actions. It's about when we should use the criminal law to do that. And so we know that the children are much more likely to be, to be victims of, of crime, but when they do um, have harmful behaviour, we know that the best way to stop that harmful behaviour is to, to support them and address it in other ways. And that the criminal justice system really isn't a good way of, of addressing children's behaviour. And the idea that we criminalise children from the age of eight in Scotland, which, which is the lowest in, in any comparable country in, in the world, and much lower than our European colleagues, is really quite shocking. And, and the idea that, um, that 12 is something we should be aiming for um, is, is, just, is just plain wrong. And it flies against the commitment that we've got to children and young people in Scotland to, to actually um, promote their human rights and, and treat them as children up to the age of 18. Right. I, I, I'm, you know, up till 12, I, I can understand that. But what, what do you t- say to those, if you're taking it to 17, what do you say to the victims? What do you say to those who have suffered a crime from, let's say, a couple of 15-year-olds breaking into a house or whatever? What do you say to them? They are victims. How are they going to feel about this? Yeah, I work very, very closely with victims, and we have to, to acknowledge that children are much more likely to be victims. So I work with a lot of children who are victims, but also adults who, who are victims. And, and one of the things they, they always say to me in terms of wanting, wanting justice, they want the support that they need, and they may want compensation and things like that. But one of the biggest things is a guarantee that it's not going to happen again. What, what, what victims say is, is really, really important is saying we want to know that, that this isn't going to happen to me again and it's not going to happen to someone else again. And, and what we know from all of the studies that have been done globally and the studies that have been done in Scotland um, show that actually using the criminal law, criminalising children at a young age, actually makes it more likely they'll go on to further harmful behaviour. And what you actually need to 
do is go in and support the families and support those young people to make sure that, that they make better decisions. And it's much more effective to use social supports than it is to use the criminal law. Putting someone into the criminal justice system um, at a young age when they're a child actually actually makes things worse for victims and, and leads to a higher risk. And so the, the, the idea of putting the, the age of criminal responsibility at a higher level, as they have done in most other countries, every other country in Europe and, and most other countries in the world, actually delivers better results. And, and when the international community looked at this, the, the Council of Europe, so that's the human rights body that covers all of Europe, they said many years ago that 14 was the absolute minimum that we should be looking at in, in Europe. And the United Nations, um, over a decade ago, um, did a, a big global piece of work, looked at all of the evidence, and said that even over a decade ago in the whole world, even countries that have got the worst human rights records, that 12 was the absolute minimum, and that even a decade ago that, that any country that was as low as 12 should be looking to 14 or 16. And they're just coming out now, they're, they're discussing it um, early next year, and they'll be making it very clear that any country under 14 is just not acceptable to the international community because it doesn't it doesn't work. And we should be looking at 15, 16, um, even for those countries that aren't doing well in human rights terms. So the idea that, that Scotland's talking about 12 is, is just totally out of step with what the evidence shows us works to keep, to keep victims safe. Yeah, but I, I still don't get how that's going to stop two 14-year-olds who go around in the evenings vandalising cars or breaking windows or, or committing any type of an act that would deem cr criminal at the moment. I don't see how that... Um, is going to even enter their mind as to whether it's a criminal issue or not a criminal issue. They're still going to do it. Well, I think that's part of the problem is that we're talking about young people who, who, who um, due to their age, kind of don't understand some of the, the issues around criminal behaviour and they're not. They know what's, what's right and wrong. But, but I think the, the important thing is, is that in order to, to stop that type of behaviour, we have to engage with children and young people early. We have to provide the supports to the families and to the communities and to those children so that they don't end up in, in that situation, situation where, they're, where they're actually undertaking harmful behaviour. So it's about early and effective intervention and actually criminalising those, those children at the age of 15 um, we know it doesn't work, that, that putting them through a criminal process, even if it's through the children's hearing system, the stigma that attaches to that and the engagement with the criminal justice system actually is likely to make their behaviour worse. Whereas if what we do is go in and support those young people at an earlier age or even then and do, do some really kind of powerful youth work with them, get them focused on, on learning new skills and opportunities and things like that, that's what will change their behaviour and keep us all safer. But using the criminal law as a really blunt tool um, for, for punishing um, and actually what we need to do is, is work, work with these young people, give them some skills, allow them to make really positive, productive choices by, by using kind of positive youth work and supporting their, their families and them. But criminalising them just doesn't work. How do you get to the families, Bruce, that I would describe um, who are still there, who have the, the criminal background? They are criminal families. They have that Fagan effect that uh, Dad sends the 12-, 13-year-old out, which then can be 16- um, or 17-year-old out to commit the crime, to commit the shoplifting, to bring it back, uh, knowing that they won't be prosecuted because they are under the age. Yet it's, it's the parents that are um, pushing them out to do this. How do you get to them? Well, one of the things when we talk about the human rights of children, we focus on the fact that children should grow up in a family environment of happiness and love and understanding. We know that that doesn't happen for all, for all children in Scotland. And so we need some really effective interventions for families. And I think that 
that's the important thing when we talk about children's rights. We're actually talking about the, the, the duty of the state. Those in power have to support parents and families and carers and get in and get involved with them. It's not just about the child. The best way to make sure that, that, that children do well is to support their, support their families. And I think we know from some of the, the great things like the, the Violence Reduction Unit work that was done in Glasgow, kind of getting involved early, engaging with the families, focusing on kind of health visitors and early supportive um, interventions from social work and youth work, that's the way to actually change some of these some of these cycles. The the criminal justice system just isn't very good um, at at supporting these young people and, and these families. And actually, that that's what that's what makes it worse. It exacerbates mm-hmm. the situation because you end up with this adversarial um, uh, relationship with, with with the state and with with the police. And so, actually, some of the really great community policing that's going on, but more importantly, kind of health visitors, social workers, youth workers, getting in and giving um, children and their families support in order to make these positive choices and, and not conduct that harmful behaviour. But we know that criminalising children and the stigma that attaches with that and the impact that has on a lifelong basis in terms of getting jobs and things, if you've got disclosure checks, accessing education, um, delivers really poor, poor results. And actually raising the age of criminal responsibility and taking a focus on children and young people as children and giving them the supports they need, that's, that's what works. But, but children are children up to the age of 18. And they deserve the, the supports from, from all of us, but particularly those in power, to make sure that they can, they can make positive choices and go on to, to, to good productive things. Um, and that's where the real failure here is, is that we're not putting enough emphasis on actually putting in the supports at the earliest possible stage, health visitors, social workers, youth work, um, additional supports into schools to make sure that children who are displaying some harmful behaviour or challenging mm-hmm. behaviour can get the supports they need when they need it so they don't end up in the situations that you're talking about where they're out at night um, right. doing things that harm others. You mentioned there the children's hearing system. Richard Holloway, who chaired the panel in his report, said an overhaul of the children's hearing system as proposed within this report is long overdue. Scotland needs an intelligent system that learns from outcomes and knows about the children who are brought into the hearings, their circumstances and their views. What changes would you like to see uh, taking place with the children's hearing system? Well, I think that the starting point needs to be that Scotland should be very proud of the children's hearing system. I myself was a panel member for, for 13 years. Um, um, I only stepped down when I, when I took this job as children's commissioner last year. Um, and so I saw, saw hundreds, thousands of, of children and young people and, and, and worked with some really committed um, other volunteer panel members and, and professionals. And I think that the children's hearing system is something that, that Scotland should be incredibly proud, proud of, the idea that we treat children in need of care and protection and those that are... That are, that are um, that are harming others or are getting into trouble, um, that we treat them based on, on a welfare-based principle is absolutely um, world-leading, and, and I think it's something that we need to protect. But there's a lot of things that we can do to, to improve it, and, and we need to speak to children and young people about their experiences with it. They've told us a, a lot of things around the way in which we um, communicate with them, about how much control they have over the hearing system, and whether they feel that they're being heard, and whether they feel that the things that the, the panel is doing to support them um, are working. And, and there's some, some good work going on from Children's Hearing Scotland and from the um, Scottish Children's Reporters Administration to actually make some of these changes. Um, Things like trying to get a bit more of a diverse range of people um, onto the children's here, onto the children's panel as, as panel members, and trying to do better at actually um, supporting, kind of using creative ways of, of getting children, young people's voices. Because um, asking children to come in and sit um, around a table and, and speak with a bunch of adults using using jargon and, and reading long social work reports doesn't 
doesn't work as well as it should. Mm. Um, so, so there's some really kind of exciting work going on. But, but I think um, this report from from the panel was, was a real wake up call in terms of saying we can't just be be tinkering tinkering around the edges. We need to take a really radical approach in terms of making sure that that we're supporting children and young people and their families. But but in doing so, we need to always um, stay committed to the principles of, of the Kilbrandon principles, which underpinned. Um, underpin the hearing system, which over been in operation for over 50 or 50 years now, um, and that idea that, that children should be seen as children first, and that their welfare needs to be the, the paramount principle, um, that, that that's got to stay. Um, but there's lots that we can do to improve the operations of, of, of the hearing system and the wider justice system as well in, term, in terms of youth justice because the age of criminal responsibility is just one part of wider reforms we need in the justice system and, and how we deal with young people's behaviour. Bruce, thank you very much indeed for joining us on the programme today and taking us through the, the, the thoughts of the report. Uh, Bruce Adamson, who's the Young People's Commissioner for Scotland, Children and Young People's Commissioner for Scotland. What do you think? Uh, do you think it's right? Should the age of responsibility be increased? treble three twenty twenty four oh one is the number. Scotland's Talking, the podcast. We heard Bruce Adamson, who's the Children and Young People's Commissioner for Scotland, uh, giving the reasons why he thinks that the children should not get a criminal record until they're 16. At the moment, uh, the age of uh, criminal responsibility is eight, which is the youngest in Europe. It's going up to 12, or that's what they're debating at the moment anyway. That's the recommendation, and it's a recommendation that would seem to go through. Uh, That's going through the Parliament at Holyrood. Um, But then, as soon as that's through, they're, they're already, in fact, it's not even through yet, and they're talking about increasing it to the age of 16. But what about situations like the killing of Bailey Gwynn at Colts Academy and other instances of violent crime by high school age kids. Uh, There is a report going about, and I'm sure it was commissioned by Scottish Television, and there's something along the lines of 700 pupils have been excluded from school for attacking, violent attacks, by the way, attacking teachers and pupils. Now, they know what they're doing. Come on. You know, you're telling me that a 14 and 15-year-old doesn't know what they're doing. Of course they do. Read an instance the other day there that um, a bus was driving down the street and had a big heavy traffic cone thrown at the windscreen. It went through the windscreen. Think Think of the incident that could have caused if the bus driver hadn't got control of the bus. Now, the people that did that were of that age group. You're going to tell me that they didn't know what they were doing. They were standing at the top of a car park, as they often do stand over flyovers where cars are going under and they throw bricks at windscreens. You're telling me they don't know what they're doing. Of course they know what they're doing. So surely if we put it up to 16, it's even giving them a bigger licence. Never mind this, we need to engage with the families and we need to engage with these children and make sure we give them other things to do. What a load of bump that is. What do you think? Oh, treble three, twenty twenty four oh one. It's the academics. It's just going back to what we're talking about the drugs. It's the academics again. Oh, let's be nice with them. Let's give them things to do. Yeah, right. Okay. Here's Dan. He says uh, anything to do with children of a young age committing more serious offences and the CR CSCRA have insufficient disposal options. That's very true. Again, you know they go to the children's hearing system. 
and they decide that they've got to be put away somewhere, then then there's virtually nowhere to put them because the places that they have um, are, are full, mostly with children who've committed crimes down in England and they're sent up here to places. That's in that report. We're reading it. I'll find it for you in a minute. But uh, it just it just seems a bit crazy to me that um, we're looking at this up to 16 when we know that school pupils of a school age, as you say, not just school pupils, but children of a school age are mature and you cannot tell me they don't know what they're doing. Of course they know what they're doing. Um, look forward to your thoughts. If you've got more on that, you can get in touch and uh, get in touch by calling 033-2020-401 or text 61054, start your message with Ali. You can also email ali at thegreatesthits.co.uk and hashtag Scotland's Talking. Uh, the report that I'm referring to here criticises using adult, adult criminal courts for 16 to 17-year-olds. And uh, th- there, are, there is a shortage of secure places for children, and that's why they end up in uh, places like Pullman's. Your thoughts? Get in touch. You're listening to Scotland's Talkin', the podcast. Join the conversation on Twitter at Scotland's Talkin'. Just going back to the text from Dan, who was talking about insufficient disposal options. I did find that part in the report that I was looking for there. It says, this has led to approximately half of the 84 places in secure care in Scotland being occupied by young people from outside of Scotland. So we're not providing the right amount of places. Robert's on the line. Good morning, Robert. Good morning, Ali. Your point, please. Well, I mean, just something you were talking about about five, ten minutes ago, but children and the vandalism and throwing things at buses and over bridges through car windows and stuff like that. I totally wholeheartedly agree with housing. You say, darling, at the end of the day, I mean, these kids, regardless of age-wise, I mean, if they're confident enough to get up in the morning and get ready and go to school and learn at school, then they're confident enough to know exactly what they're doing when it comes to vandalism. Yeah, they might not be legal enough to be prosecuted for things that they've done, but I've always been a great believer, Ali, is if you do the crime, you do the time, mm. or somebody pays for somebody's damage. You can't charge these kids. Then the parents should be left responsible, and they should be bringing them up to teach them that these things are not acceptable. And if their kids are going to go to smash, whether it be even just a pane of glass in somebody's greenhouse, then if can they get the kid to pay for it, then the parents should then take the lesson and say, well, listen, by the way, you need to forgive this. You've damaged somebody's property. You've damaged somebody's car, blah, blah, blah. Somebody's going to have to pay for it. And if your kid can't pay for it, then sorry, but you're going to have to. But no, I'm sorry. I agree with everything you say, Ali. They should be held responsible for everything they do, regardless of these. They're competent enough. They're no stupid. They're no daft. They know mm-hmm. exactly mm-hmm. what they're doing. Bruce, thank you very much indeed. We've got a few calls on that. Um, agree what you say. You know, at the end of the day, if if the age of responsibility goes up to criminal, you can't get a criminal record up to sixteen. Then surely that if, if they're doing that at the moment, um, and they know there is a possibility of being caught and prosecuted, uh, once it gets to well, you know, I'm I'm age fifteen, I'm age fourteen, they can't touch me. They won't do anything. Lorna, hello. Hi there. Lorna, what's um, your point? 
Yeah, my point is, um, I totally agree um, with what you're saying. Basically, there should be justice um, for the young kids. But I've had kids who's still in care at this moment in time. Now, once uh, just over 16, and basically it's done criminal damage. But social work departments um, basically are not criminalising them for the actions he's actually taken. Now, where is the justice? You know what I mean? Like, he can go out and do crimes, and the children's reporters is turning around and saying, oh, um, basically, it's just an order, we can keep them on, because this order actually stops him from doing these crimes. It doesn't stop him from doing the crimes, because he's still out there doing the crimes, and nobody's getting, like, reimbursed for the crimes he's committing. If it was somebody else on the street, they would actually be, like, took to court. And he's 16. Where is the justice? I don't and know. That's, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, as, as it's, I think sixteen is going too far, don't you? I, I seriously do. I mean, I've got, I've got like um, umpteen kids. So right? I've got four. One's twenty-two. One's um, nineteen. One's sixteen. And one's fourteen. The one at fourteen is still under the system as well. But you go to a children's reporter, and they turn around. They basically, basically, they're in charge of the court. They turn around and say, "No, no action taken." Like, they're going out there, they're causing these damages. They're causing damage to properties. They're stealing cars. They get into children's homes. The, the children's homes is actually being demolished by these kids. And they don't have to pay for this. It's the taxpayer that's actually paying for this. Not a social work department. They're coming into people's houses. They're wrecking people's houses. Who pays for that? Social work don't pay for it. The children's reporter system don't pay for it. So... Mm-hmm. Okay, Lorna, thank you for your point. Andrew, good morning. Good morning, Ollie. Your thoughts uh, on Ollie, this? Yeah, well, cast your mind back to the one of these 60s films called Was It the Loneliness of the Long Distance Runner, Ali? That was based on a borstal. And these days, borstals were run by guys that had served in World War II, Ali. The warders were tough as old boots, and they made these kids basically do military-type regimes, Ali, where they were cleaning the place, they were smart, they were clean, they were shaved, they were showered, they had discipline. And the best thing you can do is take them away from some of the Muppet parents that obviously have no control over their kids. That's part of the problem. You know, we keep getting told, Ali, oh, they kind of cope, there's no coping mechanism, and they get depressed and things. Ali, they're at the best time of their lives. You know, you've got all your life ahead of you. Use it positively. And if you kind of do it positively without sexually assaulting somebody or smashing bus windows, then, sorry, you're going to be locked up somewhere until you can learn how to act positively. Mm. Far too many do-gooders in this land. You think that is the problem? Too many do-gooders? Who do they do good as? And as I say, they're lacking the power to take some of these kids away from idiot parents as well, who are part of the problem, Ali. You know, they're getting no discipline at home, they're out of control. And as I say, they're bullies in many cases. They need to be blooming well stood up to. There's been cases, Ali, of 10 year old boys assaulting girls, you know, sexually assaulting girls at, at school. 
Now that needs addressed before they grow up, Ali, to be serial sexual monsters like we spoke about last Sunday. Mm-hmm. So Andrew, no, Andrew I'm going to have to stop you there. We we have sort of running up time, running out of the, the programme here, but uh, got your point. Thank you very much indeed, and also apologise to some of the other callers that are uh, standing by. And, and of course, uh, also I was going to talk about licences in Edinburgh. We'll maybe keep that one back for next week. <laughs>